Next Chapter Podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Even the way that it started with that, like, that's the moment that I like. Cause I, when I have sex, I like put like a fog machine on, and then I come out in like a uh, Robin Hood, uh, Prince of Thieves uh, shroud, maybe with like a string, and then I grab the string and and just pull it, and then the whole thing just disrobes off of my body. This music was made to fuck to. The song was Safe From Harm. It's by my boys from Massive Attack. I don't know them, but it's from their 1991 debut record, Blue Lines. And guess what, player? It's also number 397 out of 500 on the 500. What's up, everybody? If you're tuning in for the first time, my name's Josh Adam Myers. I am the King of Fleece. I'm the King Kadoogle. And you're now in the Fleece Army. What do I got to talk about? Election next week, you know? You guys scared? God, I hope we don't riot. And if we do, dude, I got Lekka. Lekka's gonna defend me. She'll lick their hand first, then she'll bite them. What I do have to promote, November 14th, on my birthday, we're doing a virtual goddamn comedy jam at the in crowd. The lineup is fucking sick. I'm not announcing it yet. You'll find out next episode. But guys, it is the place to be. Every comic is going to do a stand-up set, then they're going to tell you a story about why they chose the song they're about to sing, and then they sing it with a live band, and it's completely virtual. We can see you, you can see us, we can hear you laugh, we can hear you sing, and we can make fun of you, uh, and make fun of like your house, because we can see right inside of it. We did one October 15th, it was the shit with Jim Jeffries. If you missed out, man, that's on you. Tickets are on the500podcast.com or you can get them at my website joshadammyers.com or you can get them on my Instagram page because they're up in the link in the bio or go to the goddamn Comedy Jam's Instagram page. Be there, guys. It's my 41st birthday and I want everybody to celebrate it with me. Don't forget, we're doing the podcast theme song contest. I want you, the listeners that are in the Fleece Army that are musicians to create the 500s theme song. If you're in the Patreon, the 500 Club, you get to vote on it. Send your songs. Be creative. Design it however you want. But just fucking do it because we're going to play them on the air and we're going to have you vote on them if you're a Patreon member. Join our Patreon. It's the shit. But yeah, participate in the 500 theme song, guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. The ones that we're getting in are fucking dope. All right, let's find out a little bit about this record, guys. Released April 8th, 1991 on Wild Bunch and Virgin Records. Co-produced by Johnny Dollar and Cameron Boogabear McVie. This is the debut from the Bristol English trip-hop pioneers, Massive Attack. 
Comprise of producers Robert 3D Del Naya on vocals and keyboards, Grant Daddy G Marshalls on vocals, Andrew Mushroom Vowels on keyboards, and rapper Adrian Tricky Thaws. The original group came together in 1988 from the Wild Bunch Sound System, a multi-ethnic underground mobile street party collective of DJs, producers, engineers, musicians, graffiti artists, rappers, butthole surfers, I added that. And that was created to bring the then new hip-hop music to the people of England. With Daddy G and Mushroom as the DJs in 3D as a rapper, they threw these huge parties in and around Bristol and at legendary local nightclub, The Dugout. Other members of the collective were DJ and producer Nelly Hooper, who would go on to produce Massive Attack's second album and singer-songwriter and rapper Nina Cherry. While Nelly Hooper was producing Soul to Soul's debut record, Club Classics Volume 1, Nana and her soon-to-be husband Cameron McVie had been writing and producing for their 1989 debut album, Raw Like Sushi. That's a fucking dope album name. 3D and Nelly co-wrote the second single, Man Child, with them, and Mushroom did some programming on the record. Meanwhile, Daddy G created and independently released their first Massive Attack single, the Rufus and Shaka Khan cover, Any Love, which was co-produced by Bristol group Smith and Mighty and featured vocalist Carlton McCarthy. With those successes and with Nene and Cameron encouraging and often bankrolling them, 3D and Mushroom joined Daddy G in Massive Attack, and they produced a re-recording of Any Love, now with vocalist Tony Bryan, and got signed to Circle Records, inspired by concept albums like Pink Floyd, P.I.L., Herbie Hancock, and Isaac Hayes, and using a mix of live music, sampling, program breakbeats, rapping, and featured vocalists, Massive Attack got to work on their debut with Raw Like Sushi producer Johnny Dollar, often at Nene's and Cameron's house. The process to make Blue Lines took about eight months and used some song ideas they created years before in The Wild Bunch. As Daddy G said, we were just lazy Bristol twats. It was Nene Cherry who kicked our arses and got us in the studio. In addition to rapper Tricky, who at the time was considered the fourth member, the album also featured British R&B and soul singer Sharon Nelson, Jamaican reggae singer-songwriter Horace Andy, British rapper Claude Willie Wee Williams, and British R&B and soul vocalist Tony Bryan. And as most of the songs were created from a DJ's perspective, with many uncredited samples and loops from existing records, almost their entire list of studio equipment was turntables, a mixer, a drum machine, and a sampling synthesizer. The music they and their Wild Bunch contemporaries were making became known as the Bristol Sound, which you'll remember if you listen to the Portishead episode. That sound was American hip-hop filtered through the British underground scene. It was often more laid back, meditative, soulful, and owed a debt to the Jamaican reggae dub recording techniques. This new genre would go on to be called trip hop in 1994, yet Blue Lines is considered to be the first trip hop record. So at the time that America was enthralled in the grunge music movement of Seattle, the UK was building momentum with trip hop and the Bristol sound. And despite the popularity of the single, this record didn't sell good at all. However, people were listening, 
and it showed a few years later in songs by Portishead, Morchiba, Sneaker Pimps, Moby, DJ Shadow, and the list goes on and on. Besides Massive Attack's music, their influence on production, which included a core unit of producers with guest vocalists, is still utilized today. The group went on to put out four more records, which all get doper as they keep going, and a bunch of EPs and other projects with various members leaving and returning, but only 3D staying throughout all of it. Massive Attack has remained a driving force in new technology as well, with the recognition for political, social, and cultural causes. And my guest today, making her second appearance on the podcast, is got Massive Attack in her bones. The one and only Margaret Cho. My girl! Margaret's been a fan of Massive Attack since this record has come out, man. And this is one of those podcast episodes where you're like, God damn, like you were there as this shit was popping off. Margaret is one of my favorite comics, one of my favorite people, and uh, I think we got a perfect guest for a perfect dev. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms. If you're listening on Stitcher or Apple, leave us a five-star rating and leave us a review. We deserve it. Follow me at Josh Anna Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, not left to say, but here we go. We're number 397 out of 500 with Blue Lines for Massive Attack. I was looking back at you and you were looking back at me and I was looking back at you and you're right behind me and you're at the corner over there standing waving and I'm eating a Caesar salad and I'm looking right there and I'm right over here. I hope that's recording because I want that to be the beginning of the podcast. Can we just dive into this shit because that was so great. Let's do Um, it. Why do I feel, because Mar- first of all, uh, big round of applause for Margaret Cho making her second appearance Thank you. on the 500. You're one of the, you're one of the few. It's you and our other six-time champion, Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> That's not true, but he's been on once. Why do I feel like you've had sex to Massive Attack? I have had a lot of sex to Massive Attack because it's one of those things where <laughs> you can put this record on, actually all of their records on, and not feel as if you've heard it before. It's It works as ambient sound, as well as a record that can be replayed, as well as music that can be kind of swapped out. And um, it's almost like classical music in that, uh, and um, standards. To me, these are very much um, standards in the um, European songbook. Uh, that can be used again and again. Ooh. So you're saying this is like British Cole Porter. Exactly. They're interesting. It, it, the, the musicality of Massive Attack is really interesting because they're less songs and more sweets, you know? Ooh. So you have uh, more of the, these kinds of orchestral movements throughout. They're closer to classical music than they are to pop music. 
No, I agree with that because I, I you know, especially in their later work, the, the the songs are more movements and there's sections and it's very much like a symphony that Beethoven or Mozart or somebody construct. I mean, I think there's, I, I don't know about this album per se, but definitely as Massive Attack grew and kind of evolved with their music. So do me a favor. I, tell me your story with this band. Like where did it start and how did it get to where it is now? Well, I um, really started with this band probably from Nana Cherry is maybe my entry point um, because I loved Nana Cherry in the 80s and was really hungry for a different sound. And I loved Nana Cherry, Malcolm McLaren, all of that kind of um, the hip hop that was coming from Britain. And I um, was curious about it. I was curious about the fashion. I was curious about Buffalo Girls. I was curious about what was going on over there because it seemed like, okay, it was very much goth. You and I talked about The Cure. I had been going to goth clubs in the south of England in the 80s and then come back to America and I was doing comedy and in San Francisco, and something was different happening with music. You know, it was like hip-hop was going on, Daisy Chain was happening in America. But there, there was this thing of like, you know, Britpop was just starting, but this other thing was happening where um, it was a confluence of hip-hop sampling, like this kind of thing of like a different approach to music that was taking some elements of Northern soul and mixing it with hip hop and classical music, which was very different. So, so you bring it here, you come back here. And so when you started listening to this, so was this album blue lines, like your first experience with them or are you like diving into protection or even mezzanine. I think it was this album. This album was probably the first and the first song I became obsessed with was Daydreaming because it it's really the I think it was the notes because I had it's very atonal. That song is like really a strange bunch of notes that you don't hear in a pop song whether it's like E flats, or I'm not exactly sure. Like, I've never taken a tuner to that song. <laughs> it's like, what? Because usually you could hear the notes. Usually a song's going to start with a D or a G, sometimes an E. Or, you know, sometimes it's for me, it's like a B minor. That's like what I will like pick out of a song is like a, oh, that's a C minor. Usually if I like a song, it's a C minor or a B minor. This song, I'm like, what? Is that an E flat? you're playing with like I'm like what the hell and it, it's such a strange song and such a strange tone and yet it's a jam welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute what's the name of that podcast that's axe to grind uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all <laughs> and my name's Bob and my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, 
um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Like... How big was this in England while you were there? Like, how was, did Massive Attack just come out? Because trip-hop, the word trip-hop hadn't been uh, created yet. There was no form or even idea or separate genre for what this music was at the time. It was just like, this was, like you said, their reaction to kind of what Americans were doing with music, with hip-hop. And so this is more of like a down-tempo, also inspired by like Pink Floyd and all these concept records. So... Like, how did you see this being perceived? And, and were they just, like, blown away by it? Well, it was almost like... Um, it, I feel like it was a reaction to rave culture. And it was really an effect of the drugs we were doing, too. I mean, it it's like you can't do any of this music without drugs. Th- that's a big part of the equation. And... You know, this is really all about um, ecstasy and um, raves and that kind of like first um, sort of, you know, mad, it was like Madchester and the Happy Mondays in in that kind of like the drug-fueled music, but then it was like so much more about the experience of it. So like when I, I actually was going back to listen to this record from preparing to talk to you and I really I haven't done drugs in a really long time and these drugs in particular for a good 15 years and I I it like exists somewhere in my spinal cord I got like a weird (laughs) chemical taste in my mouth you started grinding your teeth and just started being like does anybody have a pacifier can somebody give me a freeze down I need a freeze down with some Vicks Vapor Rub and a deep tissue massage while sitting uh, underneath uh, stairs covered in soot. It's so weird. Don't they? I mean, I don't know. Did you do those drugs? Oh, my God. Yeah, dude. Dude, 1998, 99, up until about 2002, 2003, I was a full-blown candy raver. So, I mean, Washington, well, you're because you've, you've been to Washington, D.C. Did you ever go to Nation? 
There's a party there called Buzz. It was this huge weekly party. Uh, some of the biggest DJs in the world. Uh, Paul Oakenfold would be a regular there. Ronnie Size, Ed Rush, Optical. I got drawn more to drum and bass, but just the the scene was this beautiful. Like, because they really did live by that plur kind of message, the peace, love, unity, respect. And it was just copious amounts of ecstasy and ketamine. Yeah. And that was, that was my fucking jam, dude. That's a, those are young man drugs. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, as we evolve, as we evolve as addicts, we start getting into, like, we do the coke and then eventually settle into pills because we're more refined and our doctors give them to us. And we're like, no, this... Oxymorphine is is a hundred percent better than than snorting cat tranquilizer. Mm-hmm. It's true, but there was this, this in San Francisco. It was the early nineties, and um, the very first um, kind of bloom of adulthood, you know, for me, and um, you know, kind of becoming an adult and and going out to these raves and parties where people were. Um, doing these drugs and we were like, we're not going to do alcohol. We're going to do these drugs and we're not going to do cocaine. We're going to do these drugs where it's just like, instead of being um, sort of like obsessed with ourselves and like cocaine, the cocaine era, which was very self um, reflective. It's about the group reflection. So, you know, uh, let's, let's take care of each other and, um, it's really, it, I think it's quite a beautiful thing, but then, you know, it, it, it's, this music reflects that. See, what's, that's so funny because I never would have put these two things together, but after reading about, like, how Massive Attack kind of started with the Wild Bunch, like, they're this, this, you know, I got into an argument with, an argument, a discussion with uh, my writer Morty, because I was saying, no, this came from the rave scene. He's like, no, but it wasn't rave, it was hip-hop. It was just the scene at the time. It's like there's, like, the rave scene isn't so much just dance music. There's hip-hop heads there, there's rock fans. It's just it's just a scene of this beautiful, like, almost neo-hippie movement in the new age, and, and it's beautiful. Um, I always looked at because i came into massive attack with mezzanine that was the first record um by them i listened to all the way through it was from angel uh teardrop all the hits off of it then i started working my way back and i listened to protection which my favorite massive attack song uh ever uh uh better things uh is off the second album and then this record, I kind of always just was like, I'd put it on, I'd listen to it a little bit, but I was really more drawn to their darker, more dub-oriented stuff. Um, but but man, I don't think there is better music to fuck to yeah. than Massive Attack. Like, what were British people fucking to prior to this? You know? Mm-hmm. Billy Fury. <laughs> oh, when I saw her face. It's like this, this pile driving your wife in Essex. But it's such a it's it's such great music. I don't think there is better music, not just to make love to, but to to drive at night. Yeah. It creates such a mood. And 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 I love that you said it, it's about the group atmosphere, it's about the party, but I also feel like this is very, like, self-reflective music where if you're dealing with something, if you're, if you, like, if you're, if you want to be more in a, in a spiritual, like, meditative state, this music is 
perfect. And probably because it does have those elements of dance music. It does have those elements of deep hip hop. And then it also has these deep elements of, of dark side of the moon and, you know, and funkadelic or, or, or any of the people that they were influenced by. Um, so this was really my first real foray into this record by them. And just, to, you know, to be completely honest, it's not my favorite by them, but it's cool to see where they started and to how they grew into becoming Mass Attack. And, I, you know, it's funny, Margaret, I went to go see them live, uh, I think, in December of 2019. They did Mezzanine all the way through. And... uh it was it was so great to see it live. Uh, not gonna lie, the show they just stood there the whole show. They didn't move. There wasn't like full showmanship at all. Uh, cool LED show, uh, but uh, I snuck from the VIP, and by the end of the show, I was all the way up front. And then this uh, this like drunk girl just kind of like mushed her way right next to me and just started like screaming the lyrics to teardrop in my ear and it kind of ruined the experience <laughs> for me. So, oh, but you know, but she, that, that girl then walked out of the club and got hit by a car. Um, so no, I'm kidding. She didn't, but that, I like to, we, we can all dream. We can all have dreams. Um, all right. So let's dive into the record. Let's, it starts off with safe from harm. This is the third single. I also want to talk a lot about the samples that are used, uh, in their music. So this is built around a sample from Billy Cobham's 1973 song Stratus with additional samples by Herbie Hancock and Funkadelic. And I really love the way they're using the samples and the way they're using them properly. So here, uh, Peter, play the opening to the Billy Cobham song Stratus Now. Now, uh, play the opening of Good Old Music by Funkadelic. And now, let's put them all together and play uh, 231 from Safe From Harm. What I love about that clip is not only did it mush those two together, but it took the best elements of those two songs uh, and the two previous samples, and it, it just showcases, you know, how great the use of sampling can be in merging that into one form. Exactly. And it's just so masterful. And even the lyric references looking back at you while you're looking back at me, you know, it's self-referential as well, which is so genius. I think, I think this song is so amazing. And it's one of those things where the, this song really, the whole thing in the video and all of it really blew me away because it, it was one of the first times uh, where you realize, oh, you could actually sing in a band but not be in the band <laughs> with this 
Yeah. I was like so confused by Massive Attack. But I'm like, who is in this band? Because I'm like, is she the singer of the band? No, she's a guest singer, but maybe she, I mean, it was like so hard to figure out like when the beginning of sampling occurred, it's like, who's in this band? What's this band? What, you know, because I didn't know any of this and I didn't know uh, about any of the samples before. And then, you know, when, you know, you're coming into this band, learning about the samples and who's, then you go and you find the original and it's really it's so interesting, but I, I but I love this song. So that's you've mentioned the lyrics. Uh, I was looking back to see if you were looking back at me uh, to see me looking back at you is taken from the 1973 song Street Fighter by David Essex. And in the liner notes uh, says that this record was influenced by Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Um, and if you don't know Taxi Driver to the listeners out there, Robert De Niro plays a disturbed Vietnam vet and he is violently obsessed with saving a hooker played by Jodie Foster, which is so great. It's such a such a positive movie. I love that movie. I would love to go to the movies with him. With I would love to be a Sybil Shepherd in that movie. I would love that movie. <laughs> That's 70s porn that he goes to the movies with her. <laughs> yeah, you're like really into 70s porn, I do. Huh? I love it. I think it's very cinematic. I like to go to a porn movie in a theater, though. How many have you been to? Is there like an arc light of porn there movies? Was, there, there's one um, called The Tiki Room. I don't know if it's open right now, but oh, maybe it would be. There's a lot of crap. It's kind of like expensive. It's like $14, but it's only like, a, um, it's pretty small, but I think only people who smoke crack go there. Um, but uh a lot of that doesn't really exist because that was all sort of like Times Square kind of stuff that's Old, not an... Yeah, before Giuliani. Yeah, it's not really there anymore. So it would be great to... I, I, I long for the days of that, that sort of porn chic in a porno theater. Well, I know what... And when, when this is all over, you and I, we got to go to a fucking porno theater. There, there's got to be one somewhere. I mean, well, there's the Tiki Room if, if it's still... I don't know. Hopefully it'll stay open. So, uh, uh, hopefully. We'll see. Yeah, dude. Like, how are they surviving right now? Do you think, as a porno theater, you can apply for a for the PUA relief? The pandemic. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think that that place. Um, it seems like it's uh, recession proof and maybe pandemic proof because it's got um, so so many people that go there for you know whatever reason. I mean, they 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 just they have to go for whatever reason. So there's got to there's got to be reasons keeping it alive, but who knows? There's got to there's got to be some very affluent, like you know, gay or straight person that like loves that place that is just an investor in it, and it's just like, no, dude, people need a place to masturbate in public. You know, we can't do it behind the pink berry on Third anymore. Like, we have to do it somewhere. Um, and you know what? It's it's funny that you said uh, that this does remind you of 70s porno music because I 100% can hear it. It's that bass line, that do 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 Yeah, dude, that's why we can fuck to this. All right, moving on, uh, One Love. So uh, you talked about the various uh, artists that are in this group. Uh, Jamaican vocalist, songwriter Horace Andy sings about monogamy over samples from Isaac Hayes, and I'm going to fuck this up, the Mahavishnu Orchestra. Horace is the only outside singer to appear on all five Massive Attack albums. If anybody, we're going to play the clip of his voice. He's the guy that does uh, the singing in Angel, which when I found out that was a guy, it blew my fucking mind. I, I would have put everything that I owned on the fact that I thought it was a female vocalist. Um, 
But here, let's play uh, play a little taste of this, and then I want to play the samples. I believe in one love. I believe in one All right, now let's hear some of the samples. All right, play the opening uh, of Ike's Mood by Isaac Hayes. Um, And now I really love this next sample. Uh, Play Minute 50 from You Know You Know by Mahavishnu Orchestra. I just hearing that little like that little keyboard piano thing that boom like just the fact that they pulled that and combined that with the Isaac Hayes thing I think is fucking genius man such a great song what are your thoughts It's so genius I mean it's really playing these samples like they were um just separate like notes and instruments unto themselves which I think is the perfect way to use them and really genius and I mean it is very orchestral and, um, you know, a new way of looking at music. And I love that. So talking about love, uh, so you're identified as pansexual, but you've been married to a man, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So do you think you could or would get married to anyone else across the gender spectrum? I would, but I don't know if I believe in marriage per se for myself right now. I don't know if that would be um, something that I would believe in for uh, my life as appropriate. But I I think, yeah, it's possible. It's possible that I could be in a relationship with a man or a woman or somebody that was gender fluid or non-binary for sure. What? makes you so turned off from the idea of marriage now i just want to live alone i really enjoy living (laughs) by myself i really love being in the middle of the bed and not having to um inquire about what we were gonna like eat for dinner or watch on tv (laughs) yeah oh my god i i i have these moments during the pandemic where i'm like god i'm really lonely i would love some human contact And then I'm like, no, because I also really enjoy just being here by myself, watching whatever the fuck I want to watch, going to bed, eating whenever I want to eat, not having to ask any questions. Like, relationships are cool. They're cool. They're great. Yes. But at the same time, being alone and being okay with being alone is fucking dope. It's so dope. I mean, I have company when I want it, which is great because I am seeing somebody, but it's definitely something that I tr- I treasure the time that I have alone and I don't think I want to live with anybody again. And then I think that marriage is really, I think it, it's something that I experienced for long enough and I'm just happy alone. You know, I don't need to define myself in that relationship anymore. Am I going to die alone? Can you answer me that? You're a very wise, spiritual person. Am I going <laughs> to die alone? Because I I had that thought yesterday and I was like, should I tweet that? And then I was like, oh, I don't think that's I don't think that's something to put out into the universe. I don't think I don't think that if, if that's if I, I mean, yeah, you know, it, it it's not I don't think it's 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 that simple. I don't think it's that 
I think it's it's really um, it's not really possible for any of us to die alone because it's not like we are solitary individuals anyway. You know, so you know, no. But it's more about whether or not uh, we're going to be happy or or not. You know, we, you can be alone in a marriage. You can be alone in a family. Um, just as easily, sometimes more so. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Great answer. But instead of saying, yeah, dude, you're going to die. Alone, bro. <laughs> All right. Blue Lines. This is the title song. Uh, off the record, it contains samples from 1974's Sneaking in the Back by Tom Scott and the LA Express and 1976's Rock Creek Park by the Blackbirds. Uh, this part that I'm about to play is my favorite part of the entire album. Uh, Peter, give it to me. It's the way that we build it. Sharing a soliloquy, pick up the broken thread for flexibility. Mickey, I'm a 3DZ. Sauna ain't glazing. No sunshine in my life because the way I deal is hazy. Live from day to day because I'm on my toes. While contemporism, I remain in comatose. What I love about this song is, like you said this earlier, but before I had even heard you say it, 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 this is the only thing I can think about is this is the perfect song just to get high to. It's the chillest rap song. It's it's the exact like opposite of the direction that hip hop has gone now, where it's so aggressive, it's so machismo and like in your face, and this is just this like beautiful beautiful like flow and vibe and that little keyboard sample that they pull from that song uh is just so incredible and i mean you gotta say like the the lyrically it's fantastic they you know he he rhymes solidically with flexibility uh then goes into like uh me chiamo 3d sono inglesi i mean that's it's fucking great man what are your thoughts i love 3d i mean i think uh Robert Donaha is so, he's just so, um, his agility as a rapper is really unusual. And, and he has just, he, he's just like got this electricity, but it's subtle and it kind of, he doesn't have to like flex so, you know, huge. Like he can be very, very like, uh, like cool about it. Like he's just cool. Tricky, uh, tricky too. Tricky is just, like an alien to me. And and that's, I remember like Tricky talking about it in like some spin article in like 1994. Like he's just very much like, he's like, I'm an alien like Bruce Lee and Prince. And I'm like, that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> he's just yeah. like that. I mean, I love Tricky so much. I love what the stuff he made when he broke off um, and started going solo. I love, what is it, Maxinique? I think that's how you say it. I thought it was Maxinquay. I don't know how you say it. I, I, you know what? Cool. You're probably saying it right. <laughs> Maxinquay. That's even better. So but I, cool. I love him. I loved him in The Fifth Element. Just a, just a great song. And it has a bunch of references to other t song titles throughout it, too, which is pretty cool. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. 
Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. All right, so let's move on to the next one. Be thankful for what you've got. So this uh, Tony Bryan song cover of William Devon's 1974 hit is retitled to fix the grammatically incorrect original Be Thankful for What You Got. It was Daddy G's idea to record this, but 3D thought the music was too straightforward for them, but he considered the lyrics topical. He also remarked, it's a sentiment for the 90s What's the point in killing people for their Nikes? We're living in a time where nobody can be satisfied with what they've got because of the media. You're bombarded with stuff to desire. Uh, And in my opinion, this is basically the same song as the original. So Peter, play a little taste. Not even this version of it, but uh, the original, uh, my friends, uh, Arthur and Matt. So we used to do a lot of cocaine, uh, me and two of my buddies at the ski lounge. No, sorry, the ski lounge, the sky lounge in Baltimore. And we used to listen to the original version just over and over and over. So the second I re-listened to this song, it just took me back uh to like the height of my cocaine days. And it's great because it's just a simple message. Just be thankful for what you got. You know what I mean? But if you get money, get a diamond in the back, a sunroof top and put TV in that shit. Um, tell me, what do you, how do you feel about this? I love this song. I mean, I think that this is like, it proves my theory that mu- really good music comes from places that are really cold. And um, because when you're inside a lot, you can make really good music. And this is just like another (laughs) sort of like proof, another song that just proves that. Because it just sounds like when you hear it, it's like, you know, it's cold outside. But it's such a beautiful, beautiful song. And I think it's another like reflection of that sort of northern soul thing and how much they really admire American soul and American songwriting and that kind of like, it, it is kind of this, this kind of like soul revival, but it's also very, uh, it's, it's very literal. It's a very literal cover, which uh, yeah. but it, you could tell that it's, it's also very modern and done through like the computer. Like it's very digital. It's very, it's really interesting. Like how they took a very analog 
recording and then made it they digitized it in a in a very different way which i think is so unique and i i think it's very 90s too which which is not to say it's dated um at all which you would think now that uh, oh that's dated but it's actually still very modern no it feels modern um do you so you mentioned something a second ago do you feel like if this if this band was in America in Arizona, we would do, we would get the sound that Massive Attack is putting out. Like I feel like this is like you said, this is the reaction to the rainy, cold, like English weather, right? Yes, um, but I think you would have you also have great music in Arizona or where it's hot because you still have to be inside. <laughs> What bands are what bands are from Arizona though? Um, the Gin Blossoms, who I actually really really love. I love Jimmy Eat World. You have quite a lot of interesting bands coming out of Arizona because it's so hot that they have to be inside all the time. So they're always playing. Um, Megadeth currently reside in Arizona. So okay, absolutely, lots of great bands are in Arizona. Um, I, I, I can tell you there is a very, um, it, it's quite interesting. Um, you know, K-pop all in Korea. It's very extreme weather in Korea. What's the weather like in Korea? When you say extreme, what does that mean? It's, they have like intense winters and intense summers. So you're basically inside three fourths of the year because there's like a monsoon season. There's like, you can't go outside. You'll die in winter. You'll die in summer. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's like a very, very, um, uh, you're sheltered. You're inside a lot. Okay. I want to ask you this question based around being thankful for what you got. What's the uh, dumbest thing you ever bought uh, that you thought would make you feel better? A Pilates machine when I was drunk. <laughs> I, bought, I, I bought a Pilates machine like in the 90s off of television after drinking an entire bottle of Maker's Mark <laughs> when I, I was drunk at a gig at Caroline's in the middle of the night. Um, and then I tried to return it the next day on the phone. I never received it. Oh, you never got it. <laughs> no, I never got it. But I, I, I bought it. I ordered it drunk, and then I tried to return it hungover, drunk, <laughs> still drunk a little bit. Yeah. Uh, hey. Yeah. I ordered this uh, last night. Oh God. Do you can I have a can I have some of that water over there? Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. This just isn't gonna work. I'm I'm more of a uh, a Peloton person. Can, um, <laughs> I don't. That's so great. Uh, why did you return it? It's Pilates. You could have like fucking kicked ass on that thing. Well, I returned it because um, it was just it was like an early. It was way too early of a generation of the Pilates. Like now, it would be good, but in the nineties, it wouldn't have been good. Yeah, I guess Pilates wasn't big back then, was it? Not, well, uh, it was just starting to sort of be a thing. I mean, it it it, it had started to be a thing, I guess, in the nineteen twenties, but. At that point in the 90s, it was still not really good for the home market. Well, hold on. Wait, did you just say that Pilates was around in the 1920s? Yeah. I think it was invented in the 19-teens, I believe. I believe Joseph Pilates. <laughs> it's a real guy. <laughs> I feel yes. like you're, I call, I'm calling bullshit right now. Henry, no, no, no. <laughs> Philip Peloton, and I Jamie believe- Pilates. I believe it was Joseph Pilates invented it in um, the 
the the teens or no the 1920s. Fucking way. I would have 100% That's my idea. thought it was just some like like, you know, this is like history of Pilates. Holy shit, there's a guy named Joseph Pilates. Oh my god, he's from my favorite town in Germany, Dusseldorf, and he suffered from asthma during the First World War. All right, I, Jesus Christ. I I can't believe that. I am in complete and utter shock right now. Um I had no idea, dude. I I didn't know that that Pilates dated back that day. <laughs> yes. Like Well, you know, Good for you. Good for you for buying it. Good for you for returning it. Did you get your money back? Well, uh, they had never uh, received the order because I was so drunk. I don't even know who I ordered it from. So, who knows? I'm trying to think of the weirdest shit I ordered when I was fucked up. See, I don't know. I I, I didn't really have money when I used to get fucked up. So, and, and, and now that I have money, you know, I don't, I'm sober. So, I don't fucking ever buy anything stupid. So, now I'm good with my money. But I would, I would buy, like, if I really had the room for it, I would get some fun. I'd get a Pilates thing. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, five Many Army, composed with a sample from Al Green's 1972 song, I'm Glad You're Mine. This track's deep dub bass line and vibe are a reflection of Daddy G's love for that genre. And its title and idea are lifted from the 1982 dub version of the song by dancehall reggae artist Dillinger. Uh, they do this really great arg uh, run in the rapping, and it's just perfect. Uh, Peter, play it. It's a turbo and charge with a charge. I need a DG while bunch crew at large. Don't call me an officer, just call me a sarge. Mashing up the country town and also abroad. Plan to go to America when I get a visa card. But getting a visa card nowadays is hard. So keep your ears built and listen to every card. All right, two things. One, I fucking love the British accent more than any accent in the world. I so love. Cool. Oh, it's so cool. It's so refined. I've even changed my Siri and my Amazon uh, Alexa voice to have the British accent. Two, it, it's it's just, hold on, I just turned my Alexa on. I don't need you right now, okay? Jesus, you say it and the bitch is always listening. So I found this and this is pretty cool. This is an autobiographical song about the Wild Bunch's wild early days of playing house parties and touring Japan and includes Wild Bunch entourage member Claude Willie Wee Williams who rapped on this with Horace and Tricky. 3D explains why there's another shout out to his Sony uh, Con Walkman which was a special edition that came out with plush, oversized headphones by saying, every rap track has a reference to Sony. It's not a plug for them, though. It's a totally obsessive object, and if you have something that you're really into, you constantly think about it. So when I think about words in music, I constantly think of my Budokan. It's that simple. I don't even know what the fuck. I remember Sony Walkmans. Do you remember what he's talking about? Um, I always thought he was talking about the Budokan Stadium. Um, okay. But uh, I guess the Walkman, I don't know. But I, I, I just, I, you hear the word a lot when the, you're, you're referencing, he's referencing. This song is, I, I feel, the direction that Massive Attack was going to go with protection. Like, this song sounds the most... Like, like this should have been on the following record, whereas the other songs, you know, stick to this blue lines flow. 
Um, your feelings on this? I love it. I mean, I think it, it's just, you know, it just sounds so cool. It really, you need to do hits from the bong. Like this is kind of, to me, this is very British Cypress Hill too. That's what it reminds me of. Like I love Cypress Hill. They're good friends of mine. And I definitely feel the lung burn when I listen to this song. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... So good. So so wait, tell me, tell me, how did you become friends with Cypress Hill? I um would go to their shows. We um did a lot of different. Uh, when I used to smoke weed, we would do a lot of different like um, marijuana. Before it was more like before it was legal, we'd do like a lot of marijuana legalization shows, and then we were um, talking about putting together sort of a a Costco style business where medical uh, marijuana distributors would buy from us outside of the city and then they would sell inside of the city. So you would bring like, like sort of a membership card to our facility outside of cities and buy huge amounts of marijuana and take it to your dispensary. But I, I uh, didn't end up doing it. But um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so do you have do you have any great do you have any great like getting fucked up with with Cypress Hill stories or what's your favorite? Well, I Cypress mean, they, Hill story? you know, it's just so they they're so amazing. I mean, you know, so many times. But what what's so great is like they are so amazingly like business oriented and on top of everything and all their merchandising and all of their like stuff, like all of their, um, their compound, like, you know, you go downtown and everything that they're doing is all set up so well for business. And they knew all about like this entire boom of like marijuana, like business way before anybody else. So they got like a head start on it. They were like Dr. Green thumb so far ahead of the game. And, so I'm really amazed at how how entrepreneurial that they've been and so smart about it. And I mean, I just I love them. What's the, do you see? You've gotten completely blitzkrieged on weed with them. So high that I I'm like just I can't believe how high and um, like I've gotten really high with them. I've gotten really high with Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg loves to roll though. That's with the danger of Snoop Dogg. He loves to roll joints. So and blunts so that he continues to roll and then hand them to you. So you're just lighting them and then he'll keep rolling. Then you lose count. Oh my God. That's so great though. I would, you know what? Like, like I don't really smoke pot during the day anymore. I only use it to go to sleep at night. Um, but if the opportunity ever came up to get high with, 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 with them. I mean, with Cypress Hill, it's like, cause I'm friends with Tom Marillo and, and, uh, so I've been backstage and I met him. I met, I met, uh, be real still haven't been in, in the area of Snoop Dogg in my life yet, but I mean, I'm only 40 and he's, I don't even know how old Snoop Dogg is. He hasn't aged. He's like a King. I mean, he's really, I mean, he is a King, like, but he has that energy of like a really, um, he 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 just carries himself like royalty, which he should because he is. But you really feel it in his presence, and um, I've I've noticed I've known him since I think yeah like 1998, and he's definitely just shown that for 
for me for all this time. Like I've definitely like really experienced that joy of being around him, but I've had Thanksgiving with him and he's amazing. Dude, that is dope, dude. Listen, if he ever does like a Passover Seder, let him know that I want to come over. Because <laughs> I, I go to my mom's for Thanksgiving. That's the one holiday I got to spend with my mom. My mom goes all out. Um, all right. Unfinished Sympathy. Uh, so this was the second single. It was actually released a couple months before the album under the temporary band name Massive to avoid any issue with the radio band during the ongoing Gulf War. Uh, Shara Nelson came up with this song and recorded it with co-producer Johnny Dollar before the group built on it, including adding a lush 40-piece live string section. Because they didn't, this is really cool, because they didn't have the budget to afford the string session, string section, I'm sorry, Mushroom sold his car, uh, a Mitsubishi Shogun, to pay for it. Um, I love that. I love when you just like, you're like, fuck it, man. We gotta, we gotta make this song perfect. We gotta fucking do it. Um, in an example of deconstruction, the song has no traditional bass line and no real chorus. Shara sings of guarded longing for her lover over samples of fusion guitarist John McLaughlin's 1975 Planetary Citizen and J.J. Johnson's 1974 Parade Strut and a rhythm track based on the bells found on Bob James' 1975 Take Me to the Mardi Gras. Um, This is really cool. We were talking about samplings, so I want to play a little bit. So play the opening of Unfinished Sympathy. Now, play the opening of Planetary Citizen by Mahavishnu Orchestra. That was it. Just that little, that little hey, hey, hey. Uh, I just find it so interesting what samples they choose to use. Um, Thoughts on this song? It is. It's really incredible. There's so much layering happening here. um, And that's the genius of... This song, and I think Massive Attack's genius is that they just know where to put it in and pull out before it becomes a mess. So easily this could become really too much and they know where to end, you know. It's just this calculated mess, which is amazing. That it's so divine here and it is like you do have to listen to it with headphones to really understand the complexity of it um it's truly a masterpiece i love this song and it is kind of like our generation's answer to all you need is love you know with the orchestral component um added and coming in you know during this sort of Gulf War, that piece of it too. It, it's a, it's a lot. I love that. So I wanted to ask you, uh, being that this song is about uh, sacrifice, uh, what's the biggest sacrifice you've made for your dreams? Um, I think, uh, well, the biggest sacrifice would just be um, everything. You know, this sort of relationship with safety. 
um, or uh, any kind of idea of uh, doing something with a net. You know, with comedy, you're just out there flying blind without any kind of safety net, without any kind of uh, security. You just go. And I think that's what we all do. So we're all really under this guise of um, we're going to be okay. But really, comedians are, are really the most dangerous animals of all. Yeah. So how old were you when you when you finally decided you were like, it, it, it's do or die? Oh, I was 14. So I started pretty young, but I knew that I wanted to do it when I was eight. So I, I've... I've been like a lifelong devotee yeah i mean i remember watching george carlin uh, at six years old when my dad was watching comic relief and i was like that's what i want to do but it took me but it took me until i was 27 to have the fucking balls to do it but you know like how do you feel about let me ask you this how do you feel about comedy in the new normal that we're in now are you performing um i am on um it's hard. I am on uh, online, and um, it's really a sad thing because I miss doing live shows. I would love to do some like drive-in shows, but it's something that um, I haven't done yet. I would love to do shows. I think at some point, but it's uh, I'm just you know I'm just trying to figure it out. Like we're all just trying to figure it out, but. Live shows have been okay. I mean, live shows like live shows on Zoom have been okay. Like now they're like letting in some audience and it's it's definitely better with people. Yeah. But it's hard. <laughs> Are mean, you doing shows? I, I have yet to do a Zoom show. We're doing the goddamn comedy jam at this place called the In Crowd. So it's very like minority report where you can see everybody. It's almost like a television studio. And you could see like fifty or sixty people. And uh, in my opinion, the COVID, quarantine, whatever we're going to call this, is has been the greatest thing for me as a comic because it just made me so grateful for every set that I get from this point on, knowing that it could be taken away, whether it's a virus, it could be me getting sick, it could be there's a war. Like, who knows what it could be the next time? So I'm treating every set as if it's like, this could be my last one. So just have fun be present and just enjoy every fucking second. And even if I, it's not even about killing anymore. It's just about me having fun. And yeah, man, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful to be able to see how comics are so resilient. And it's like, no, we'll figure out a way to do this. doesn't make a difference. All right, moving on. Daydreaming. Uh, this first single was released six months before the album samples uh, Mambo by Wally. I'm going to fuck this up. Bataroo. And again, features vocals by Shara Nelson. This was the first song produced for Blue Lines after the demo for this got them their record deal. 3D and Tricky combined their lyrics reminiscing about drugs, house parties, and the rough life of 80s Thatcher-era urban England. Uh, this is the weirdest moment on the entire record. Peter Play, uh, 153. If I was a rich man. A quietly observed standing in my space That's a devious days They call the rat race It's a concrete jungle Evil in the town Weebles bobble Occasional squabble But what happened when the Was not expecting down. a Fiddler on the Roof reference Fiddler on the Roof <laughs> on, this, on this song There's something about that It keeps popping up in various hip-hop songs That it just still blows my mind every time I hear it 
It's so weird. It's so weird, but it really fits. And um, Maggie this, Maggie that, talking about inflation. Yeah. It's so great. I love this song. I think it's so weird, and it's so timely, but it never goes out of time. Like, it's so, it's always timely. It's great. Yeah, it's a great song. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Uh, lately. So this was Shara singing another song of heartbreak and regret over a sample from Lowrell Simon's 1979 Mellow Mellow right now. Uh, Peter, play the opening uh, from the Lowrell Simon song. All right, now play the opening of Lately by Massive Attack. I, I, I love this song so much. It didn't change much, but they added just that little bit of trip-hop tinkle on it, and it is so good. I love this song. It's probably one of my favorite ones on the record. It's the chillest on the album. It's the most down-tempo song, and it's just perfect. Um, and I love the little, like, mushroom DJ skills that are, like, going on throughout it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really gives me a drug flashback. This is the one where I'm rolling like I feel it now like I this one really makes my um salivary glands really go into overdrive and then it's like my eyes start to shake my eyeballs are like shaking it's the weirdest thing like those drugs really stay in your nervous system I really feel like they're really it it, it is like I feel like I'm on ayahuasca or something. I mean, you really don't ever have to do drugs again if you've done as many as I have. Sure. Oh, no, no, no. I I get uh like ketamine flashbacks because I had like a not a near death experience, but I remember being at a rave and I had uh been doing some K, but not a lot, and then I went out. Is it this place called the Edge in DC and I smoked a blunt with this guy and we, I was fine. And then I got up to go back into the club. And as I walked in, it was like I was so fucked up that I didn't I didn't believe that I existed anymore because and it's also when you're at a rave and you're high on on something like ketamine, which gives you this dreamlike state, you know, then add in the uh, the repetition of the music, just that constant beat, you know, that song that goes on for like seven, eight minutes of just the same sound over and over. And then you as people are walking through the club, they they're all fucked up on drugs. So they look like they're almost like zombies. And it just and that ex, that experience that I felt there, like I've had flashbacks of that throughout my lifetime. Not so much anymore. Um, 
But yeah, dude, it's like I never get I never get like ecstasy flashbacks. Oh, I'm like always just like on the verge of an ecstasy flashback. Like, but music really is the one thing that will really bring it back. It's like this song and then um, this whole record, actually, and anything um, uh, by D-Light. Especially Groove is in the, the heart. The groove that you do down my back. <laughs> Make me school on satisfaction. What's the come? No. Satisfaction on the stuff. I would have loved to see. What were you? What are you dressing like during D Light? Were you were you full D Light? Um, I was full D Light. I had like the um the like su- like suede platform shoes, but it had a pilgrim buckle. Yeah, but it was like a, this very square toe, but they were like five inches high, but they were blocks and um, like a harlequin tights or one black leg, one white leg, and a mini mini skirt and like just um, black bob that was really severe. <laughs> I bet you look so cute. Do you have any pictures that you could like send us that we could like post on the five hundred Instagram to kind of go with? I this? will try to find. Yeah, I will try to find some. You know, it's like one of those things where we never, we didn't have um, cameras. We didn't have like I'd have like a Fuji film box camera or something maybe somewhere. Oh God! But you know, and, and you know, let me know if you agree or disagree with me on this. Like I almost like I'm upset that there's just this whole like section of my rave days that just there's maybe two pictures of me that I have, but then also. I'm almost glad that there's only two pictures because I was fucking rolled out of my face, like chewing my up to my nose, just fucking sweating, looking like shit. Like, have you ever seen pictures of people on ecstasy with their eyes like there's this fucking fucking, I I have no idea where I am. Well, precious few, precious few. I mean, you see more pictures of people on uh, Molly, but not on ecstasy. You know what I mean? There's a different there's a big difference, actually. Yeah, because because um, ecstasy is usually cut with either heroin or meth or or coke, <laughs> something. Mitsubishi Who double knows? stacks. Do you ever do one of them? No. What is that? That was a pill. It was like the there were the Nike symbols, the Mitsubishi double stacks, uh, the white diamonds. I always remember New Year's Eve from ninety eight to ninety nine. I was at Buzz and I. Met some dudes. I ran out of money, and I had already taken like two or three ecstasy pills, because um, I always did a lot. And I remember I ran out of money, and I met this guy. He was a dealer, and I was like, "Dude, I was like, it just just loan just loan me one pill, and I I promise you, I will you know give me your number, and I will call you tomorrow, and I will come and drop off the money." And he was like, "All right, dude, whatever, man, just here. It's New Year's. Take the pill." And then the next day, I called him, and this guy was like. I can't believe you're actually, you weren't lying. Like, you're the most uh, trustworthy drug user I've ever Aww. met in my life. Uh, That's and then nice. I, it was It was a beautiful moment. It was a very beautiful That's moment. Nice. Yeah. Um, he actually got hit by a car, so he's gone now. Um, oh. But no, I'm just kidding. I have no idea. He's probably <laughs> doing fine. Um, hopefully he's not dealing anymore. What if he is? All right. Final song on the record, Hymn of the Big Wheel. This ecological and geopolitical issues uh, was the fourth and final single with their cover of Be Thankful for What You've Got on the Flip Side. This was co-written and sung by your girl, Nene Cherry, 
whose husband, Cameron Booga Bear McVeigh, managed the group and co-produced this record, much of it at their house in their kids' nursery. All right, so this is the only song on here with no samples and Horace Andy's only entirely original collaboration with Massive Attack. Do you remember, uh, though, a few songs ago when I said uh, that that moment was my favorite on the record? I lied. Peter? Sometime again, you turn green And the sea turns red My son, I said The power of accents over my head The big wheel keeps on turning On a simple line, day by day Love this song. Great way to close out the record. How do you feel about it? I love this song. It really is a hymn. I mean, it's a really beautiful song. And it's like, you know, the these songs are really... It's interesting because I don't think any of them come in under six minutes. They're all like seven, eight-minute songs. They're like elegies, you know? These are very, very big. They're sweets. It's like, you know... Um, concertos. It's really, it's really beautiful, and and it's a very majestic way to end this very majestic record. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of ends it on a on a like an uplifting note. Whereas you know, all the, some of the other stuff. I'm not saying it's depressing music at all, but definitely trip hop uh, sets a mood. You know, and I said it could be very self reflective. It could be, you know. You can listen to this if you're in a bad mood. You can listen to this if you're in a good mood. But this has this cadence or sound or whatever the chords are that just literally it's like uplifting you. And, uh, you know, to see where they went after this record and because they did start taking much more of a darker turn. Um, it's it's just a nice positive like little button on this album. It is. I mean, it is. It's really. It's. It's kind of them in their youth. You know, before they went on to like, karma coma and um, protection and all these other sort of sort of things where they were got, getting into sort of a very dark space and it's it's different. You know, they became very 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 famous and um, then it's like it's. Is 3D Banksy and yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of, but I kind of hope he is. Like, I kind of hope he is. I, I think he is. But that's my, I, I'm, I really want him to be Banksy. But it's okay, whatever. I, I believe that he is. But it's, it's really like they, they just. This is like kind of before like all of the fame, and it was a different time. You know, um, there was an innocence to it, and right now, like that, that point in time in Britain. The big stars, it was like, think about like the Britpop was at its height, you know, it was like Nebworth and, um, you know, uh, Oasis versus Blur and tracksuits and, um, it, you know, it, this is like this new sound that was so different. And yeah. so this is exciting. It was great. I, I wanted to be Richard Ashcroft so fucking bad, man. Like I was, obs- I was obsessed with British uh... music. I mean- Every any if you were British and in a band in like the late nineties, early two thousands, I I I had your record. I I checked in every year to see who won the Mercury Music Prize, and I listened to every record on that list. Um, this actually, they, this wasn't. I don't know if this was nominated. I don't think it was. I know Mezzanine was, um, but. Uh, it just there's something about it. Like I like I said earlier, I just think that you get great music out of that that country. Um, so I wanted to ask you this: 
Is this your favorite massive attack record? It's hard to say. I mean, I think, um, well, my favorite massive attack song is Rising Sun, which is not on this record. It's off Mezzanine, um, right? Yes. So it's kind of like, maybe, I think, I feel like Mezzanine might be my favorite record, but I, it's hard to, I don't know, because it's like almost, and I love protection also. Um, so, and Karma Coma, it's like, I, I, ha- I have a hard, you know, I don't know. I can't say what is my favorite. I love all of their stuff. You know, I, I love all the things they've done and, and all of the different incarnations of them. And I love the stuff Tracy Thorne's done with them. And, you know, it, it's, it's just, um, I just love the band. And um, I, I wish I got to see them in December. That would have uh, been a great, I would, it, I would it really love to see that. I, I, I act like I, I went, I don't know, I, I, I guess maybe I was expecting much more of a show and they put on a great show. So I feel like uh, to all the listeners and even yourself, I was like, I'm not shitting on them. I, I love massive attack. I paid $200 for the ticket. I'd probably pay if they do another tour where they're covering just a full, cause they just played mezzanine and a couple of like odd covers. Um, if they come around here again, a hundred percent, I'll go see them. Um, and it was really cool to see Horace Andy there. And, um, you know, but it's, it's that drunk chick, that drunk chick, man. She kind of ruined it for me a little bit. All right, you want to do uh, some facts and get out of here? Yes. Okay. Uh, half of the album was recorded at Nene Cherry's and Cameron Booga Bear McVeigh's home studio in their kids' nursery, which they called Cherry Bear. But after nobody noticed that one of the baby's used diapers got caught in the air vent when the couple left the band there to work for the summer, they renamed it the poo room. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. How do you not notice the shit smell? Um, speaking of shit smells, what's the shittiest place or gig you've ever played? The shittiest? Yeah. Um, well, it's hard. I, I don't know if it's the shittiest, but it, it's, um, it's just hard to get to. Like, I remember just going and doing uh, uh, one gig, like three different corporate gigs in one day. So I did like one in the morning and then I got on a plane. I did one in like Reno and then I did one in like Kansas all in one day. So that was like the hardest. And that, I guess it would be shittiest because they were all like corporate uh, and they were all in one day. That but then, sucked. But then you checked your, your bank account and you were and like, it was good. It was good. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> corporate gigs are horrible awesome. and yet they pay more awesome. than, than 90% of the, the fun gigs. Um, so good. So what's what's let me so let's not talk about the the actual show. What's the shittiest venue? Oh, um the shittiest venue. Oh, it was um in the 80s and it was a morning anything in the morning is fucked up. It was a morning Republicans breakfast convention um where I had to be a, a fake feminist coming to object so i was a plant wow and (laughs) and it was so horrifying i didn't realize i was too young to understand what it was about and it was so sickening um what'd you say were you just like you were like fucking no to prop 43 well, I was coming. I was paid to come and scream at them that they were racist and horrible, which they were. <laughs> which they were, yeah. 
so it was right. Then they wanted that, but it was like so awful to actually be there and do it and get paid for it. At least I got paid pretty well for it, but it was like really scary. Couple hundred dollars, which was a lot in the eighties for a teenager, for sure. Yeah, and then you bought a fucking <laughs> Pilates machine with it. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> all right, but didn't ever got it. Their name was a shortened version of the Underground Massive Attack, a nickname given to the Wild Bunch, the Bristol collective of DJs and musicians, where they evolved. Um, speaking of evolution, uh, you came up. You had your own TV show way before Asian American female talents were in the mainstream, and now we see this thriving industry with people like Aquafina and Sandra Oh and Ali Wong. Do you take a little bit of pride in being the pioneer? I take all the pride. They're all my children. I love them, and I'm so grateful and so happy to have inspired and brought along this movement. Do you uh, do they? Do, so you talk to them regularly, and I mean, yes. are they are you kind? Of- and I'm here for the culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fight Club novelist Chuck Pala. Do you know how to say his name? Palanya. Okay. Fight Club novelist Chuck Palahniuk was a fan. He said, this album is chill music for me, uh, music to write to. I'm writing short stories to this right now. I put this on repeat, something Andy Warhol used to do. He'd put singles on and play them unendingly to the point where the language would break down and he would paint to that trance-like repetition. Uh, Who blew your mind to find out uh, was a fan of your work? Um, Probably Chuck um oh, wow. he's awesome he's awesome he is a great writer and a great guy amazing so yeah i love him a lot i love i i mean yeah so yeah that would be that would be probably one of my favorites how how perfect that the one person we mention is the one that's so yeah. cool oh all right um the one continuous shot video for Unfinished Sympathy by director Bailey Walsh of Sharon Nelson walking around the streets of L.A. was either paid tribute to or ripped off for the Verve's 1997 video for Bittersweet Symphony. Uh, I've never seen the Unfinished Sympathy uh, video, but I have seen Bittersweet Symphony, which it's so funny. We were just talking about Richard Ashcroft. So what was your most memorable experience with being ripped off? Oh, I, I bought um, a suara in Morocco for John Bryan, the um, producer, singer-songwriter. And um, then I, I carried it back f- um, from there. It was in 2008, and um, it, was, it was not it was not operational. So they had sold me one. Uh, they had played it for me. I played it there, but they had taken it and then they switched it out with one that didn't play. Um, really? So it, it's a, I think it's a common um, sort of bait and switch where they, they take it and they uh, take it to the back room and wrap it for you. And Wow. <laughs> That's shady Sad, as fuck. Because it was, I, I mean, it, it was not particularly expensive, but the, the hand carrying of this uh, instrument um, was quite a chore. Uh, so and I brought it all the way to the studio. I brought it to Ocean um, Sound uh, in uh, Hollywood for him. And um, it sucked. Well, 
What was his reaction when you pulled it he out? He was very excited, but then we were trying to like, play it, but it wouldn't play. So it was like, how is this not working? And Because he can play anything. He can play, he's a very amazing multi-instrumentalist. He can play all instruments, but couldn't play that. So we couldn't figure it out. <laughs> okay. All right, last fact. Uh, the cover of the album with their band name over the universal symbol for flammable material was inspired by the 1979 album Inflammable Material by Northern Irish punk band Stiff Little Fingers. Uh, what currently inspires you? I think um, what is inspiring, well, all the people that are going out and voting in person, that's really cool. Um, I... Uh, have been watching that and seeing people like waiting in line, um, going really early in the morning. That's like so incredible. I just got my ballot tracks thing that uh, I sent my ballot in. So I voted a couple days ago and um, they received my ballot, which is really great because you get a verification. So we're hoping we'll see. Oh God, uh, it's <laughs> please God. If I don't have to hear that dude's name anymore, I'll be the happiest guy in the world. Just just please. Um, Margaret, this was fantastic. Um, do you have anything you want to promote? We are going to be back on the road when this is all over. So check us out. MargaretCho.com. Margaret underscore Cho on Insta. Uh, at Margaret Cho on Twitter. I'll be out on the road someday. Soon. We will. 2022, y'all, is going to be popping, so save your money because it's going to be a big year. I bet Massive Attack, honest to God, I bet every band that that you know and love will be touring the second this is over. Bands that had broken up are probably yeah. going to get back together so Absolutely. they can go out I'm going tour. to see everybody. So it's going to be great, 100%. And if Massive Attack comes around We're here, going. Uh, you and I are going together. Awesome. Cool. All Thank right. you. Thank you, darling. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Margaret Cho. Follow her on Instagram at Margaret underscore Cho. Follow her on Twitter at Margaret Cho. And go to her website for all things Margaret at MargaretCho.com. Be sure to check out her podcast, The Margaret Cho. And check out her new animated Netflix show, Over the Moon, available now on Netflix. For our new music pick this week, we've actually got new music from Tricky from Massive Attack. He just put out his 14th studio album, Fall to Pieces. The song you hear playing in the background, that's I'm in the Doorway. And you can find links to the music on our website, 500podcast.com. And if you were in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send us your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week, it's Roxy Music Week as we go deep into their 1973 sophomore album, For Your Pleasure. You got homework to do. Listen to the record. Stay fleecy. Doogle doogle. Into something soda. Into something soda.
What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Next Chapter Podcasts.